This message is brought to you by Moira Pentecostal Church. We hope that it will encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your walk with God. So, come with me please to John's Gospel, Chapter 8. John's Gospel, Chapter 8. And just reading one verse at this point, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Natural light, something I'm sure that all of us take for granted. It is so there that we hardly even think about it. Yet without it, without natural light, all life on earth would perish. It is absolutely vital for life on earth. And ever since man was curious to know what constituted light, it led him on a journey a quest, a never-ending quest to try to find out the mysteries of light. Some of the best intellects on earth, men like Albert Einstein, spent years of their lives devoted to finding out all they could about the secrets of natural light. Now we do know that light travels. We know its speed, 186,282 miles a second. We know that there is a spectrum of light, seven colors that make up the spectrum of light. We know also about its infrared and its ultraviolet qualities. So there's much we know about light, and yet there's still something mysterious about it. There's still more to be found out about it. And even, even it's being used as a weapon today. The American army has developed a laser beam that can destroy even tanks. Can you imagine that? Do you know there's lasers that are shot to the moon to see how much movement there has been in the moon? There's mirrors up there and there's lasers shot up on it that reflects back again. So light is a very, very powerful thing indeed. We know that Albert Einstein again, that in his discovery of the mysteries of light, he discovered that light is a constant, that it travels when it travels in a vacuum, that it's constant, it never changes. And of course, that led him into the discovery and his, his great uh, equation of EMC squared and, and how even all that led into the nuclear age. And so there is much mystery about light that is being discovered. Now in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit paints for us a picture of Christ as light in the world. And not only that, but us, you and I, as light in this world. And so let's look this morning just for a moment or two at how the properties of light, how that relates to Christ and how it relates to us as believers. First of all, light is constant. We said a moment ago, the speed at which light travels in a vacuum 
is always constant. As far as we know, it is the only constant in the whole universe. If you think that everything in the universe is moving, there are those who would claim that it's expanding. All of that is an argument, but there are those who claim that it's expanding at an alarming rate. We know that the planets are continually moving. We know that the earth is going around the sun continually. We know that even the stars in our galaxy is moving around. So everything is moving, oftentimes at different speeds, in different ways. But light is constant. It never, ever changes. It's amazing. Constant. This is the very nature and character of God and His Son. Malachi 3.6 For I am the Lord, I do not change. Psalm 119.89 Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank God he is constant. He never changes. He's unchanging. He's the unchanging changer. So we can rely on him. We can be confident that our God does not change. Men's philosophies are forever changing. There's always something that's trending. There's always something that's new. In with the old, out with the old, in with the new, all the time. Textbooks are constantly being revised and rewritten to suit the current vogue. That's the way this world is. Science is always in a state of flux. New theories emerge almost daily. Now, not all change is bad. Lots of change is good. Think of the changes We've seen in the world of medicine. Aren't you glad for the changes that there has been in medicine? We're all living longer. Think of the changes in travel or in technology or whatever. There's always changes. And many of those changes are for good. But when it comes to moral issues and ethical issues, when it comes to ideas and philosophies and thoughts regarding spiritual things, regarding our eternal destiny, then we need to be careful about change in those areas. Because often it will lead us astray and it will cause us maybe to even to be lost. But God will not change. He is constant. He is unchangeable. Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. And so whenever we look into God's word and we see the words that Jesus spoke, nothing can ever change that. He will never take that back. He will never say, well, I changed my mind about that. There's lots who would love it if we could change the word of God, but we can't. And God's not going to change his word for you or me or for anybody. It is settled in heaven. 
And the only thing we can do is get in line with his word, with what he has said, and agree with it because he's not going to change it. So the sooner we agree with it, the better it's going to go for us. Isn't that right? We too, as believers, are to strive to be constant, to be consistent, to be dependable, to be unchanging. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, and yet always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Whenever those 3,000 got saved on the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2 and 42, this is what it says about them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. The thing that really gelled and built and strengthened that early church was their steadfastness in the apostles' doctrine, in prayer, in fellowship, all of that there. They stuck at it. They made sure they were there. They made a point in understanding the apostles' doctrines, and they had to go and listen and be taught and make sure they understood. But it was constant. It was steadfast. Colossians 2 and 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. That's a lovely term, isn't it? The steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Every pastor of every church can point to people that are completely and utterly dependable. You don't even have to think, are they there? You don't even have to think, are they at their post? You don't even have to think, are they doing what they're supposed to do? You know that they are and they will. Why? Because they're steadfast and they're dependable and they're constant. Thank God for people like that. Amen. That's the very heart of every church. You could not have a church. You couldn't build a church unless you had at least a core of people who will do that and be that. Light is constant. Light is beneficial. As I said earlier, no light, no life. Every human being, every animal, every plant on earth is dependent upon light. Plants need the action of light in order to grow. Yes, they need rain, all of that there, heat, but they need light. There's an action, photosynthesis, that happens to a plant that causes growth and maturity that makes it edible for us and for animals. And so plants grow, animals eat plants, we eat animals. You say, what about the animals that are carnivores? Well, they need other animals to eat plants so they can eat them. And so we either eat plants or animals or plants and animals. Depends what you have for dinner at night, whether you're vegetarian or not. But 
the bottom line is that all of that and all of us and all of them needs light. It's such a beneficial thing. No light, no life. But this, isn't this just the same with God's light? No light, no life. John chapter 1 speaks of this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was made... Sorry, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John... This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. Now, John, in his gospel, uses light uh, enter light and life interchangeably. Uh, we just read there in verse 4, in him was life and the life was the light of man. But in John eight twelve, he says, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So light and life are in Christ. Life and light, light and life. It is the same one comes from the other. Light has to do with belief. Life has to do with behavior. What you believe affects how you live and how you act. There can be no question about it. We are living in very dark days indeed. Christianity is being marginalized. We find that the institution of the church is constantly under attack in the media and the secular press. Gays openly parade in her city streets with their banners waving. Children are being murdered by their own parents. Parents are being murdered by their own children. Hordes of drunken youths spill out of clubs and pubs late at night, filling up her hospital A&Es. Drugs are out of control. No light, no life. What is spiritual light? What is spiritual darkness? Spiritual light is knowledge of God. Spiritual darkness is ignorance of God. You're either in light or you're in darkness. You can't be somewhere in between. What is spiritual light? It's spiritual sight. We begin to see through God's eyes. We see as God sees. Spiritual darkness is spiritual blindness. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those that believe not. Spiritual light is wisdom of God. Spiritual darkness is the wisdom of this world. Spiritual light is life. Spiritual darkness is death. Spiritual light is a contrite heart. 
Spiritual darkness is a hard heart. Spiritual light is righteousness and holiness. Spiritual darkness is worldliness and carnality. Spiritual light is submission. Spiritual darkness is rebellion. Spiritual light is loving your brethren. Spiritual darkness is hating your brethren. John says if you hate your brother, you're still in darkness even until now. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Notice that Jesus makes the distinction between light and darkness, between spiritual light and spiritual darkness. See, no matter how much a man's mind may be enlightened, no matter how clever or how brilliant he may be, no matter what his IQ is, how high it is, if he does not acknowledge Jesus as the light of the world, the Bible says that man is in darkness. Without the life of Christ, men are spiritually dead. They cannot bear fruit. They cannot bear fruit unto life eternal. They're like a plant that's starved of sunlight. See, this is why a scientist can study all of his life the amazing complexities of physics or chemistry or biology or neurology or anthropology or any other ology you want to talk about. He can study his whole life about that. He can write papers on it. He can write books about it. But if he doesn't acknowledge Christ as the light of the world, he is in darkness. See, this is why atheist Stephen Hawking, you know the man in the wheelchair, he's probably the most brilliant physicist ever. And if not ever, certainly in our generation. Man has got a brilliant intellect, an unbelievable mind locked up in that body. And yet, because he is an atheist, he's in darkness. And this is why he comes out with the strangest and the daftest statements imaginable. Whenever us as creationists say that God made the world out of nothing, he says that nothing made the world out of nothing. I mean, can you believe that somebody with such a brilliant intellect would say such a daft thing? And it is daft. There's no logic to it. There's no rationale to the whole thing other than let's do away with God. And so he says, nothing created something out of nothing. Then in his book, he goes on to explain, he contradicts himself because then he goes on and says, actually, it was gravity. Gravity created everything. But wait a minute, gravity is something. It's not nothing. Sure it's not. It's something. So where did gravity come from? And so they contradict themselves and so it's tied up in knots. Anything other than say God created the heavens and the earth. They will not ever admit that. Why? Because they are in darkness. Of course, other great scientists in the 16th and 17th centuries like Galileo and Kelper and Isaac Newton, all of these men who were actually the forerunners here are people who pushed the boundaries of science in their day, who made brilliant discoveries. All of them believed in God as a creator. All of them. 
that I've just mentioned, and more, many more. You think even in, in, not in our generation, but say in the last century, people like Michael Faraday, people like that, and Lord Kelvin, and those people who were brilliant scientists and yet believed in God. So this nonsense that, that scientists no longer believe in God is nonsense. Of course, there are great scientists who still believe in God and believe in creation, that God created things. Isaac Newton, after he discovered the law of gravity, he wrote his most famous book, in fact, one of the most famous books in history, Principia Mathematica. And in this book, he expressed the hope. Listen to what his hope was. Here's what he wanted to happen through writing this book. He wanted to persuade the thinking man to believe in God. If Isaac Newton lived today, he would be slaughtered for that. He probably wouldn't get his book printed today. But it was printed then. And it was a sensation. And the reason why he did it was to get thinking men to believe in God. So these men were not only enlightened in natural knowledge, but they were enlightened in spiritual knowledge, for they acknowledged the light of the world. We too are the light of the world. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Ephesus, chapter 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. If this world is going to get any light, it's going to have to come from us. They're not going to get it anywhere else. It's going to have to come from believers. Because we are the light of the world right now. The light of Christ shines through us. And so if they're going to be enlightened about spiritual things, if they're going to be enlightened about eternity, it's going to have to come through the believers. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled or hid, the old King James says, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So every time we hide our testimony, or hide our witness. We're hiding light from those who are in darkness who need it the most. Second Corinthians 4, 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has shone his light in our hearts that we may give the light. So the light that we have received, we're to pass it on. Somebody, somewhere, sometime, shone a light in your life. Because like me, you were walking in darkness. But somebody shone the light. And you were drawn to the light. And you received the light. So now you're a light bringer, a light giver. Colossians 1, 12 and 13. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has conveyed us into the kingdom of 
the son of his love, partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And then Paul says in Philippians 2.15, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So there's our mandate. There's our marching orders. Wherever we go, we're to shine a light. We're to be a light. And sometimes it's not just the words that you say. Sometimes it's the actions that you do. It shines the light the greatest. It draws people. Then you can share. Wonderful thing about sharing with somebody who's an unbeliever. You can almost see that moment that light hits them. You can be talking to them and talking to them and then suddenly the Holy Spirit uses what you have said and suddenly the light goes on. And maybe for the first time they're beginning to get it. They're beginning to see the truth of what you have just said. And it's a lovely moment when that happens because the Holy Spirit, you know at that point, is working in their hearts. The light is beginning to shine. Light is constant. Light is very beneficial. Light is pure. Now we know that in the spectrum of light there are seven colors. All you need is a glass prism that will split the light into the seven colors. But when those seven colors come together, when they coalesce together, then they produce a pure white light. Now light is a wonderful thing. In fact, it's so pure that unless it reflects of something or refracts through something, we can't see it. It has to bounce of something or go through something before we can see it. When light hits our atmosphere, all the little particles in our atmosphere cause us to be able to see it. If you go above our atmosphere, one of the, when, I, when I was in the astronomy club years ago, one of the, our guys actually went up to the edge of space and a, and a MIG, an old Russian MIG, and he says one of the most amazing things was to see <laughs> the blackness of the sky above you and yet the sun was at its brightest and the sky was at its blackest. It's amazing. It says you could see the stars and see the sun in the same sky. And it was black, pitch black. But when you come into our atmosphere, then we can see it and see the light. There's a lot of talk today about light pollution. I don't know if you, anybody ever up sleeve crib? Anybody ever? Sometimes you should go up sleeve crib. It's not too big of a hike. But if you go up there and you look out over the skyline, you see this glow of light. Any city, anywhere, if you're above a height today, you will just see a glow of light, light pollution. In fact, lots of councils today, when they put up new light standards, 
you know, they put it so the light doesn't leach up into the sky, that it comes down rather than go up where it's wasted because there's nobody up there, is there? Leads it, it's down here, we do it. So all that light pollution. So people say, well, there, there's light pollution, but it's not the light that's polluted, it's the atmosphere that's polluted. Light's pure, it's not polluted, it's the atmosphere that's polluted. Here's the amazing thing. Light can go right through a dirty window pane and it's still as pure as before it went through it. It is untainted by the dirt in the window pane. Light is pure and the Son of God is pure. Think about Jesus when he was on earth. Think about all the people he rubbed shoulders with. What was the Pharisees' jibe against him? He is a friend of sinners. Well, that was a big compliment to Jesus, actually. They meant that as an insult. Think of the people he rubbed, publicans and sinners. Those religious Pharisees hated that. They wouldn't even walk on the same side of the street as them. But Jesus mixed among them. He got in there where they were because it didn't taint him. It didn't stain his character. He affected them. They didn't affect him because he's pure, pure light of the Son of God. Think of the people he touched, but their sin didn't touch him. Didn't stain him. What does the scripture say in Hebrews 7.26? Jesus was holy, undefiled, separate from sinners. Now note it doesn't say separated from sinners. The Pharisees were the separated ones because that's what it means. They most certainly separated themselves from sinners. But Jesus didn't separate himself from sinners. He was wholly undefined and separate from sinners, but he didn't separate himself from sinners. He was different than they were, but he came alongside them to help them and to rescue them the way he did for us. And there's a difference, isn't there? And he brought his light into their darkness. What a moment. What a moment when that adulterous woman lay at his feet, ashamed, humiliated embarrassed people scorning her wanting her stoned but Jesus shone his light into her life and she never was the same I don't think she ever ever committed adultery ever again after that her life was changed forever 1 John 1 and 5, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 1 Peter 1 19, Jesus was a lamb without spot or without blemish. Although we will never be as pure as Christ this side of eternity, yet we are to strive for purity. We're to strive for purity. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, 
But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Is it not a fact that in this world, we are constantly, constantly being bombarded with impurity? Constantly. And it is a fight of the flesh and a fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil to keep ourselves pure in an impure world. The world is a cesspool, isn't it? Yet we have to live in it. So we have to do everything we can to keep ourselves pure. No easy task. So we need the help of God to do this. 1 Timothy 5.22 Do not share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Hmm. Philippians 4.8 Whatever things are pure, think on these things. So here we are in a world where we're surrounded by impurity, a cesspool, And yet it's the same world that Jesus lived in. And yet Jesus was able to live in it. In purity. And Paul says, keep yourself pure. Purify yourself, even as he is pure. Jesus is the light of the world. We too are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Final scripture, 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, and cleanses us from all sin. <clears throat> Jesus was the purest man who ever walked the face of the earth. And do you know what? He was the happiest. (laughs) And he was the gladdest. He's got the stage in television. Well, there's certainly, I don't think there's a comedian today that you could even listen to for 10 seconds. Wasn't always like that. Years ago, Sometimes you see old clips of old comedians that sounds very cheesy. But it was clean. And it was funny. And they got all the laughs. But today, they say that you have to curse and swear and blaspheme in order to get people to laugh. Remember one time going to the King's Hall. The late Zig Ziglar was the speaker. It was an Amway conference. Anybody remember Amway? I never sold Amway, but I was invited to go along because the guy that invited me was trying to get me involved, which I was never going to get involved in. But anyway, it's a good product, but I hadn't time for that. So he invited me to hear Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar was the top salesman in America for years. And he became a believer. And so I went along thinking, you know, this is going to be a boring thing tonight. All this man's going to talk about seals, 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 seals. Do you know what? He hardly talked about seals. He talked about Jesus. (laughs) He talked about his testimony. He talked about giving his life to the Lord. 
They talked about tithing. <laughs> they talked about everything except Amway. But you know what he said? He says, before I became a believer, he says, I had a filthy, filthy mouth. He says, doing a conference like this, he says, I would have started off with a whole string of filthy jokes. He says, when I became a believer, of course I realized I could no longer do that. Didn't want to do it. You know what they told me? They said, Ziegler, you're finished. Nobody will want to come and hear you now. You were so funny. You're finished. It's over for you. He says, you know what? I'm booked two years ahead. He says, I, uh, he, says, I, I, he says, people's knocking on my door for me to come. There's not a swear word. There's not an innuendo. There's not a dirty word. And he talks about Jesus. <laughs> and he was a happy man and a glad man. So we didn't need all that stuff that's out in the world to make us happy or to make us glad or to be funny. We just need to walk in the light that he's given us. And we'll have the best life that we possibly could have. Amen. No matter what happens, no matter what goes on, no matter what's thrown at us, we still walk in the light as he is in the light. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you have given each and every one of us a calling and a mandate to go out to shine our lights before men. And Lord, with our lips and with our life, that we may be a testimony to the goodness of God. Lord, help us to do that, even in the little things that people may see Christ in us. So we give you thanks. We bless you for that moment in our lives when your light shone on our hearts. And for the first time, our eyes were opened to the truth. And we embraced it. So we give you thanks. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more messages like this one, visit us online at www.mpc.org.uk. You'll also find a selection of informative videos at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal.